This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. Hello there. Nice of you to join me. Much appreciated. My guest this week is Melbourne-based cardiologist, Dr. Adam Gay. I've always been fascinated by the human heart. I've always wanted to know more about how it works and what causes heart attacks and so on. So I thought, what better way to find out than to speak with an expert? This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Dr. Adam Gay, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Thanks for having me, Daniel. No, I think, oh, thanks for having me in your lovely uh, One Heart Cardiology here in Melbourne. Uh, beautiful little office, this. Um, how long did you study for to become a cardiologist? Yeah, so the, I suppose the journey starts at, uh, at year 12. You do year 12 and then you, you try to get into medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, I actually didn't get in, in medicine in my hometown in Melbourne. So I went to Adelaide, uh, which yeah. was a six-year undergraduate degree so there were six years there um then at the conclusion of uh, the six years you do an internship uh, so we're up to seven years by then uh, and then you embark on sort of your specialty training if you like um in in cardiology that belongs to the physician group if you like so the medical specialties uh, so you do a basic physician uh, uh degree if you like um, not a degree but a sort of um postgraduate um uh, training and that's another three years, so we're up to 10 years. Wow. Um, and then you embark on cardiology, so yeah. you have to do that before you get into cardiology, uh, and then you do another three years in cardiology. Okay. Uh, usually, however, um, so up to 13 years, but usually people will do you know, a fellowship that might take them an extra year or a couple of years. Um, some people you know, will spend uh, you know, four years doing fellowships. So uh, for me, it was you know, probably about 13 years all up, 14 wow. years all up. Uh, before I started working as a cardiologist, so okay. it takes a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And during that time, is there a certain period, say like a six-year or an eight-year period, where you can just be a, a GP or and, and work as a GP while you're studying to do the extra stuff? No, or? no. So you, yeah, so you, you you do start earning money once you're an intern. So after okay. the first six years, yeah. you start earning money. Yeah. But you're based in the hospital system. Uh, GP is now a separate sort of training program. So if you want to go down the GP path, you'll enter their training program. But with all the training programs, you are earning some, you know, some money along the way. Okay. <laughs> um, but having said that, you know, sometimes d- 
despite being highly trained and you know having done up to 13 years of training, you may elect to do a fellowship, which is unfunded, so you actually have to fund yourself. Right. You're actually paid nothing. Uh, my f- fellowship was funded, but uh, it wasn't funded to very much at all. Mm. So you actually take a significant pay cut. The advantage is, though, you learn a skill um, that uh, not everyone has and then yeah. that will hopefully hold you in good stead moving forward. Yeah. So what interested you in the heart originally? Yeah, listen, I, I, was, I, I entered medicine um, thinking I was into my sports and uh, I entered medicine thinking I was going to be an orthopaedic surgeon and repair oh, yeah. AFL footballers. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I started doing surgery and, and realised that I didn't actually like standing in one spot doing the one thing uh, for you know several yeah. hours at a time. And uh, I actually enjoyed sort of chatting with people and that was probably one of my skills. So uh, with that as a background, I, I, I think I, I wanted something that had some sort of patient interaction mm-hmm. and um, or significant patient interaction. Um, and then uh, I liked the idea of physician training because you learnt a lot about uh, the, the way the body works into a sort of fairly high end. And then it was within physician training, it was a matter of choosing my medical specialty. So you could choose things like neurology or cardiology or gastroenterology and yep. the list goes on. For me, cardiology was a really good balance because – you did have some procedural elements, so we do procedures that are potentially life-saving. Um, we also have the diagnostic side of things, and we had the patient interaction. So it was a really good balance of doing a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, the reason. And I could see, like, looking at the patient population, I, I suppose looking at Stray's population, we're getting really good at curing a lot of things, and but people are, and, but in, and as such, people are living longer. Mm. Um, now, I in my mind, the, the real growth areas are cardiovascular disease, so cardiology comes into that. I think oncology is a real growth area because as people live longer, they're more likely to develop cancer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the geriatric side of things and dementia and all that's a, a growth area. So there's sort of those you know, main growth areas, I suppose. Yeah. And, and to me, the cardiology was the obvious, obvious choice. Um, so, yeah, hence I embarked yeah. on cardiology. Well, I guess, yeah, they say like mechanics become mechanics because – People are always going to have cars and you know, people are always going to have hearts. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> Everybody's right. going to always need a heart to work on. Um, is it daunting? I find when I, when, it, when I think of studying to work on hearts or brains and things like that, is it quite daunting when you're learning? Like are the intric- intricacies of a heart more simple than like a, a stranger might think or, or are they as, as complex as I, as I expect them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good question. Yes and no. Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, you know, I've got a, a good mate of mine who who is in, ca- in the cardiology field, and he always says what we do is a blood sport, and things can <laughs> go wrong. And and what we do, you know, we're we're trying to save everyone at a you know, and um, and we're not always successful at that. So mm. it is very complex, and you've got to obviously know what you're doing. Having said that, if you actually look at the heart, mm. although we've Despite you know all the great things that we are able to develop as humans, we we actually haven't been able to design something as good as the original. Um, but it is simply a pump mm-hmm. uh, that needs electricity and plumbing. And yeah. so, if you think about it in very simple terms, you need plumbing. So, and uh, and and how we fix the plumbing is usually with stents, yep. so or bypass surgery. Uh, and then it's electric. So if there's something wrong with the electrics, it might be the heart going too slow. We put a pacemaker in. If it's the heart's going too fast, it's usually because of an extra pathway or something, and we burn away that pathway. So in, in actual fact, uh, you know, the, the actual mechanics of it, if you like, are fairly simple. But mm. uh, in inexperienced hands, uh, yes. things can go wrong <laughs> fairly quickly. So, uh, yeah, you've got to know what you're doing. And, yeah. and is, is every heart different? That's another thing I was curious. Like it, in everybody you meet, is everyone 
you know, are heart shaped differently? Are they? Are they? Obviously, people have problems with them where some things might not be working. But yeah. are th- do you see some hearts that are just different than others, or no? Generally speaking, yeah. uh, all hearts are, are built the same. Yeah. Um, different pathologies will mean that things don't work as well. So valves mm. might be leaky, or the heart muscle might be weak. Those sorts of things. So there will be differences, or mm. people might have had a heart attack. So a certain wall might not work the way it should. Uh, but when you're all born, you're, you're all designed on the, the yeah. same framework, if you well, like. So, I guess sizes as well, I mean. Like yeah. do, like you might meet a petite person with a, a large heart or like a… Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. So you, your your size should be proportional. Okay. Uh, your size of your heart should be proportional to the size of you. So yeah. a lot of actually what we do in ECHO, which is ultrasound of the heart, is we index things to people's body surface area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it should be proportional. Um yeah, so we don't see the the obviously the the one difference I say everyone's born with roughly the same heart is that we do have congenital heart disease. So there's mm. all these kids being born with, with with defects of the hearts or the hearts designed incorrectly. So we have, you know, the the right side being on the left side, the left side being on the right side. Those sorts of things. Yeah, so right. there are differences there, and and uh, you know the, the the you know the cardiologists and cardiothoracic surgeons at the children's do a great job at, yeah. at fixing those kids up, and those kids are, are now living into adulthood and. Uh, and we're lucky that we have a, you know, sort of here we have a congenital heart specialist who, who is now looking after those kids, so right. who are now adults. So, yeah. yeah. Um, when you're studying, uh, are, you, are you working on um, human hearts to to look at those, or do you do pig hearts, or you know, what, what are your hands? Yeah, on? yeah. So, so when you're a, a medical student, at least in my day, it may have changed a little bit, but certainly all our anatomy classes were human hearts and mm. we spend some degree of time sort of dissecting and looking at our yeah. own cadaver ourselves versus in the pathology, um, our pathology, uh, anatomical pathology museum, which was a lot of, you know, sections of hearts and, and, and things like that. So so that's, uh, you know, the, the background of the education. Um, and as far as when you're, when you're training in cardiology, um, you're basically dealing with humans. Unless you go into... A specialized field of you know you might go in a specialized area of research where you want to test a new theory uh, or test a new procedure in which case it usually be some sort of animal based model mm, okay yeah. Yeah. yeah so now you're a fully fledged cardiologist we're sitting here yep. in your practice today what's an average day look like for you like yeah so I, I suppose my private public split I'm sort of 40 percent in the public I'm the the deputy director at Western Health um, yep. which is the busiest Infarct Centre now at um, in Melbourne, so we're, we're busy in public. So forty percent of the time is there, um, and that constitutes you know ward service, outpatient clinics, and a bit of procedural stuff, echo reporting, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And then sixty percent of the time is in private practice. Um, private practice can vary. It's uh, consulting, seeing patients, and that's the backbone of what we do. Mm. Uh, it's also some of our testing, so things like putting people on treadmills and, and doing ultrasound of the heart, that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's also procedural stuff that you do t- tend to do. It there has to be hospital based uh, yeah. uh, stuff. So I do a bit of a mix of all that. Um, an average day would be usually I'm out of the house by about seven. I yeah. try to get to well, one of the private hospitals uh, before I uh, hit the rooms at eight. I'm usually into the rooms at uh, you know say to about six or so. Yeah. Usually back to the hospital and then home by about eight. So okay. Yeah, they're full. They're not short days. No, no. no. So <laughs> I suppose all up, I think I probably get about you know probably seventy hours a week. Okay. Is what would be an average week, and um, and uh, you know I, you know I'd mention that to my parents and they'd be flabbergasted and, and, and think <laughs> I'm crazy, but I, I've got this theory about work, and and that is that most people who you'd classify as workaholics. Do it because they actually enjoy it. It's very, yeah. I, I feel it's very ha- hard to actually work 
really, really hard if you don't enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I think most people who work hard enjoy what they're doing and they get you know, lots of good benefits from that. So I really do enjoy what I'm doing. It's a bit of a balance with um, you know young family and those sorts of things, but I'm, I'm fortunate to have a very supportive wife. So, oh, good. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, patients you're seeing on a day-to-day basis, is it predominantly elderly people or people over, say, 60 years of age? Yes. Uh, in general, cardiovascular disease is more prominent uh, in the elderly, so we mm. generally see more older people. Um, having said that, it is a, still a disease that yep. can affect anyone um, at any age. Um, we, um, there, you know, people who we have probably have poorer genetics tend to present earlier. Um, we had, uh, you know, had a, a, a. I always look at people if they're younger than me. I think they're very young. Uh, and uh, we had a guy the, just yesterday who, you know, thirty nine. Mm. We put on the treadmill. Clearly, significantly abnormal test. Went in straight in, have an angiogram. The angiogram revealed a severe ninety nine percent narrowing in the right. vessel that runs down the front of the heart. So oh, yeah. he was very lucky. He had that stented and got an unbelievable result. But he's yeah. thirty nine, and and it's not unusual for us to see people in their thirties presenting with with heart attacks, unfortunately. So yeah. so it does vary. Um, um, but predominantly, I think my, most of my population would be you know sixty plus. Okay. Yeah. Is that a tough part of the job that you're dealing with people of that age? And you're dealing with hearts and people with heart issues. So at some point during, you know, you're dealing with them, they could pass away. Is that is that a tough part of the job? Yeah, well, it's it's, it's not the easiest part yeah. of the job. Dealing with – so I think there's there's two types of end of life I, I, that, that we have to deal with. And the, there's the end of life that just comes out of the blue and something happens suddenly – tragically that's unpredictable mm. um and often we grapple with that we sort of look into it and why did this happen and we try to learn from from what 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 has taken place uh, and then the second part of the end of life is the sort of natural progression unfortunately of a, a chronic disease so chronic heart mm. failure or chronic valvular issue or, or you know a, a chronic uh, coronary artery disease uh, that's not amenable to surgery and then you have to deal with the end of life and unfortunately in some cases we're now because people are living longer they're living longer and actually better with heart failure and those sorts of uh, illnesses. Uh, we're now having to sometimes move into the actual part where we have sort of dialogue with the palliative care physicians. Okay. And actually people do, you know, are moving from you know, active sort of cardiac care into palliative care, which is, you know, something that didn't happen 10 years ago when, okay. you know, when I was a cardiologist, you know, qualified 10 years ago. That didn't really happen, but that certainly happened happening more and more. So they're the two end-of-life areas that we have to deal with. Uh, dealing with end of life is tough, and mm. uh, you know you've got to um, you get very invested in your your patients' yeah, lives. Uh, you, you get would. to know the families well. Yeah. You get to know them well. Um, yeah, there's no. I think everyone deals with it probably a bit differently. I, I'm just very upfront and honest about things. I have yeah. a great rapport and relationship with my patients, um, and uh, I think if you're open and upfront, then patients can handle. You know, I think most patients can handle bad news, but yeah. you've got the, what they can't handle is dishonesty. So you've got to just be upfront and honest yeah. with them. So. Yeah. And when, when you were studying, do they mention these sort of things or do you just learn that on the run? Yes. Uh, listen, there was probably a little bit of mention here and there, but yeah. I think at the time, before you actually start having patients of your own and looking after people and really working as a consultant, um, I don't think it has a lot of meaning to you. Yeah. And, I, you know, m- m- I think some of the skills can be learnt, but a lot of it is just your, your, your makeup and how you're going to deal yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. So I think people are, you know, some people are better than others at yeah. it, definitely. So have you, have you known of anybody that's maybe done, gone through the 13 years and then got to that stage and thought, geez, this is not for me? It's, um, I don't want to, you know, dealing with people that are dropping off here and there. Yeah. You know, it's just. Yeah, no, definitely. No, I, I don't know too many who get sort of through the whole 13 years, but. Mm. 
you'd certainly have people who get through the whole medicine um, and then start even working as a doctor who decide this isn't isn't for them. Uh, and I can understand that. Like, it's not not for everyone. I had yeah. a few mates who I went through universities. They completed it. They were smart guys who were good at their jobs, uh, but it just wasn't something they saw themselves doing for the rest of their lives. So yeah. they've gone off into other industries and, and having great careers in other industries. Mm. Yeah. In, you were saying in that the guy who came in 39 years old, um, have you noticed in your time more younger people coming in due to, you know, like our diets are mm. – some, you know, we're get, getting told that we, we know now how to eat properly, but still there's, you know, <laughs> uh, fast foods and things yep. are out of control. Yes. Uh, sugar and everything is out of control. So you're seeing more younger people coming in with heart issues as a result of that? Uh, I think I think we probably are seeing more younger people. Mm. Um, I think there's a combination of, of reasons. I, I mean, I work predominantly in the, the west, northwest of Melbourne, um, and uh, there's, there's no doubt that the that in some parts of the West that were the, the unhealthiest parts of Melbourne mm. um, and a lot of that's diet-related, those sorts of things. So we're also seeing a population boom. So as a result, we're seeing more patients, so we're seeing more younger patients. Mm-hmm. We're also – we've had a lot of immigration to, to Melbourne, particularly yep. in the West, um, and so we're seeing people um, from other other regions of the world that um, genetically uh, are sort of programmed to make – a sort of earlier coronary artery disease. So, okay. so we're yeah. seeing certain, so certainly, um, you know, the um, people from the subcontinent, Indian populations, yeah. develop to see a very aggressive early coronary artery disease in some for, for some people. Um, is that, so, is that based on is that diet related? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of theories about it. Some theories is that it's related. You know, once you you come to Australia, you develop more Western diet. Maybe it's not. Particularly, ah, okay, yeah, 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 doesn't particularly work with your set of genetics, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you, so you do see a lot of early coronary artery disease in, in, in that subgroup. Um, so, I mean, overall, I'm definitely seeing younger patients, which is surprising because mm. you'd think the flip side is you've got you know something like someone like the Heart Foundation doing fantastic good yep. work. There's lots of education. We know what we should be doing. Smoking mm. rates are dropping, which yep. is great. Um, but um, but still, it's a you know it's the number one killer in Australia. Mm. You know, heart attacks are the number one killer of people in Australia, and that you know includes all the cancers and everything that we we hear a lot about as well. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, you were saying before as well that you know you see older patients are now going; they're living long enough to go into palliative care, where you didn't mm. see that ten years mm. ago. So that must be as a, as a result of people having a better diet and improving things. But then on the flip side, you got people coming in younger. Because of the, you know having a poor diet, so it's just it's yeah. totally a lot yeah. of it's up to the person, isn't it? That's like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you say smoking's dropped. That, smoking's um, dropped. One in six Australians will be affected by cardiovascular disease. Yep. Um, so, what can we do to not be one of those one yeah, one of six? One of six yeah. So, smoking, obviously. You, yeah. So, smoking. Yeah. Uh, uh, exercise and yeah. maintaining a reasonable weight is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, Diet is really interesting, so I advocate just a good balanced diet. I mean, yeah. um, I think that all of these extreme diets, which you know, sort of promote exclusion of one food group or just you know maintenance of one food group, I, I don't think they're sustainable, and I don't think they're necessarily healthy. I think a good mm-hmm. balanced diet, particular diet rich in sort of vegetables, uh, plant based uh, yeah. diet, is important. Uh, so all of that, and then the 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 next part is really making sure that you get yourself checked out. Yeah. So. You can do all the right things, and you know, indeed, the, you know, the thirty-nine-year-old that I talk about wasn't doing anything particularly bad. He was actually a guy that you'd, you'd walk past on the street and think he was reasonably fit, mm-hmm. um, but he had, uh, you know, porous genetics, and part of him coming was coming to get checked out. So he, 
so he's done the right thing, and that's what we can all do is make sure we get checked out. Mm. When I was 40 uh, years of age, I got checked out from a heart point of yeah. view just because if I knew there was something wrong, I was going to do something about it yeah. and to try to prevent – uh, you know, the, the worst case scenario happening, and that's, you know, a, a cardiac arrest out in the community where mm. the chance of survival is actually pretty pretty poor. Right, yeah. yeah. And what um, percentage is hereditary for heart disease? I don't think we can give it a percentage, yeah. uh, but, but certainly those with uh, certainly our genetics that uh, do predispose people to coronary artery disease. And if mm. you've got a family history yeah. of cardiovascular disease, then you sh- should definitely be thinking about having a chat initially just to your GP about things. Your G- GPs are well placed to work out who needs to be referred on, who needs further assessment. Yeah. And a lot of it's just making sure that your risk factors are controlled. So making sure that you don't smoke, making sure that your cholesterol is under control, your mm-hmm. blood pressure is under control, that you're not diabetic yep. and don't know. So a lot of it's just risk factor control. Yeah. Is it is it possible to exercise too much? You sometimes will hear of like a – um, a triathlete mm. or like an Ironman will pass away at a young age mm. uh, in their 40s. And you're like, how, how does that happen? Like yeah. they're the fittest person on earth. Their diet is clearly good. They're in great physical shape. Mm. But that happens. Is, is, is it possible to overload your heart? Yeah. So there, there definitely has been a very small cohort. And I don't want to give the listeners the wrong impression here. Mm. Exercise in general is good for people. Yeah, yeah. And the exercise that I would do or you would do is going to be good for us. Mm. At the very top end, at the very elite level, um, the real strenuous elite level training where they potentially train even when they're sick and they're ill and all those sorts of things, there have been cases where people have developed heart issues. Um, They're a very small percentage of the population and they often require things like defibrillators and and these sorts of things that go in. You would have, there's a a number of, you know, sort of a couple of Australian triathletes who have defibrillators, a couple of Australian swimmers that have defibrillators. And so maybe the very high-level elite competitive sport necessarily isn't a great thing for the heart. Mm. Um, but certainly I would, you know, I would uh, preface that by saying exercise in general is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that very few people I know would ever, com- you know, sort of compete at that level that they're yeah. going to do themselves damage. So, yeah. Because yeah. your heart rate – um, is it it's, is it two twenty minus your age? Is, Correct. Is this, your, your maximum heart rate? Yes. Yeah, in general, yeah. um, some people will be get up be able to get in excess of that number. Some people will be a little bit less. But in yeah. general, as a as a as a golden rule, yeah. we we just say it's two twenty minus your age. Right. Right. So I'm I'm on the uh, bike at the gym. Yep. I, I check my heart, and it's normally about one forty five. Yep. So I'm thirty six. So that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But if I was floating up around 180. Yep. I'd be. Is that, is that, is that well, pointing yeah, so, out? Is so that you're 36. If you were at 180, so that's a little bit less than your 100% heart rate. All that tells me is you're really working hard. Okay, so it doesn't that mean that doesn't, I'm. No, no, it doesn't mean you're doing damage or anything yeah, like that. That right. just means you're working really hard. Yeah. Um, it means that you're probably closer to stopping than, than the start. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's only a certain amount of time that we can run at those very high heart rates mm-hmm. uh, because you've, you've developed that situation where you're starting to develop lactic acid and you're starting to get an oxygen okay. debt and eventually yeah. your body's going to say, I've sort of had enough of this. Yeah. At a heart rate of 140, though, you might find you're able to go for several hours and that's that's okay as well. So yeah, Okay. Okay, cool. I might push a little bit yeah, more that's then. Right. <laughs> You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. 
comedians like Peter Hellyer and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. Also, what I was curious to know is what what is actually happening to a heart when it's having a heart attack? When someone's having a heart attack, what has caused that to trigger? What is, what is mm, happening within yeah. the heart? So the yeah, it's a good question, and um, and um, a lot of people don't even even within medicine don't understand this this well. So it depends on your definition of a heart attack. So mm. um, the traditional definition of a heart attack is you know someone's got chest pain and they say you know they do an ECG and they say yep you've got evidence you're having a heart attack and basically. What that means is that your part of the heart muscle is not getting enough blood to it, mm-hmm. okay? And that's so you've got a blockage in one of the heart arteries. Uh, so the usually that will be caused uh, by either the artery gradually narrowing or more commonly by plaque that's in the artery rupturing and, and platelets going to the site of injury and therefore occluding the artery. Which okay. is blocking. Yeah, which right. is so they block okay. off the yeah. – so the body's own sort of mechanisms almost block off the, the artery. Yeah, so it could be – if it's in the artery, it could be uh, fat or something. Yeah, so it's usually a, a cholesterol-based yeah. plaque that has ruptured yeah. and, and occludes the okay. artery completely. Yeah. Um, so that's what happens when people are having a heart attack. Um, the danger – the most dangerous situation is when that happens uh, and the artery gets occluded completely that the heart muscle – um, dislikes that mm-hmm. and goes into an abnormal heart rhythm, which is VF, and so and that, that's a rhythm that's not compatible with life, and that's a rhythm that needs a shock. You know? Okay. So, yeah. And so when you see people collapse and have no pulse and need CPR and, and, and the like in the community, that's usually what's happened. They've gone into VF, and that's okay. usually a result of an acute heart attack. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Does it makes so, sense. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you've got. I know the heart's in four, four parts, right? Yeah. So four chambers. You got. Blood coming in, blood going out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, blood going, yep. blood going out. Yep. So it, nothing in the heart. Uh, if you've got a, a heart um, cardiovascular <laughs> disease, yep. is the heart itself weak, or is it the things leading into the heart that yeah. causes the heart so, attack? Yeah. So you're, you're right. There's four chambers. Yeah. There's two atrium or atria. Uh, they're the collecting chambers. Yep. Okay. Uh, there's the right ventricle pumps to the lungs, mm-hmm. and there's the left ventricle that pumps to the body. Yeah. Okay. Now, of those four chambers, arguably the most important is the left ventricle because that's the main pump. That's what's pumping to the body. Yeah. Okay. The, the left ventricle has three main blood vessels supplying the muscle. Right. Yeah. And if you have a blockage of any of those three vessels, mm-hmm. that's when you have a heart attack. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I can start to understand the heart. Yeah, I don't think right. I could do any surgeries. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, is it possible to, to repair a heart? Say you've got someone in their 60s that's got a cardiovascular disease, um, you know, they're, they're quite blocked up mm. and you've put them through all the tests and you're like, you know, you, you're close to a heart attack. Is it possible for that person in 10 years' time by the time they're 70 to have a great heart uh, or a heart in much better condition? Or once you've got it, is it just a, a, a matter of managing it rather than getting rid of it? Yeah, so in short, it's a chronic disease. Yeah. So you don't ever get rid of coronary artery disease if you like. Um, it depends on what's going on, um, but as a general rule, if you have coronary artery disease, so you've got um, blockages in the arteries, what we would do is restore flow, mm-hmm. and the most common way of doing that is to put stents in. So stents is just a bit like chicken wire, springs open, keeps the artery open, yeah. so that deals with any blockages. Sometimes people need bypass surgery, so that's always also another way of dealing with the blockages. 
Um, so that fixes up the blood flow to the heart. So we all of a sudden we're, we're what we call revascularize the heart, so the muscles get yeah. enough um, blood to it. So that's that's important. Um, but that's only one part of the story, and the, the 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 second part of the story is making sure the underlying disease process doesn't get any worse, mm-hmm. and that's where medications come in. So okay, we put yeah. people on medications to make sure that we stabilize the disease and it doesn't progress, and mm-hmm. that's a goal of treatment. So it's not really to eradicate what's there, but more to make sure there's no progression. Yeah. So that's a way of dealing with the 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 blood flow to the heart. Um, the other part, the other part side of the story is the the heart muscle, and if that's weak, we we also use medications as a as a mainstay of treatment to improve. Um, the way the heart works, and then you can get some miraculous improvements in the way that the, the heart works. If it's a weak heart muscle, that's a okay. primary problem. How, how many patients are, are you putting stents in? A lot of people you see is that is that kind of the common thing now? That- yeah, listen, stents are very common now mm. if, if people need them. Um, so the, the first the first port of call usually for most patients is to do a test to look at what we think the blood flow is like to the heart. So mm-hmm. it's usually non-invasive because we like to start off with something that's low, very low risk for the patient. So usually yeah. hopping on a treadmill and doing a test where we do some ultrasound before and after um, uh, being on the treadmill. Uh, if we suspect that someone has a problem with their blood flow to the heart, we will do an angiogram. That's the next step. And the angiogram is a test where we um, we pass plastic tubes via the arteries up to the up to the heart. And we mm-hmm. squirt some dye in and take X-ray pictures, and that will okay. tell us what if there's any blockages. And is that all all done up through the groin? Is that the yeah? You can go through the groin, but yeah. more commonly now is actually through the wrist. So through oh, the right. radial artery in the wrist is, yeah. is a more common um, entry site these days, um, which has changed. You know, even in the time I've been training, it sort of mm. sort of flipped around to the wrist. Was the groin in when you started? Or yeah, that, yeah. So yeah. I trained exclusively almost in the groin, yeah. and, um, and 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 now most operators will go through the for the wrist. Wow. Yeah. So. And back 20, 30 years ago, was it all – did you have to open someone up to put a stent in? Uh, like no. So, so, yeah, we, we've always – so stents have always been put in uh, what okay. we call percutaneously, so through either accessing the groin or the wrist. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the way we've always done stents. And how it's evolved is that that angiography was around and then there was a cohort of people, people that weren't suitable for surgery, didn't want to do surgery on – um, and then there was a few famous cardiologists who started initially just using balloons, mm-hmm. and then we realised that the balloons, although were a good tempor- you know, sort of temporary measure at getting rid of the blockage, the blockage would come back. So then right. we started using stents, um, and this is from sort of the, you know the, the sort of early nineties and uh, we'll say the nineties onwards. Um, and uh, and yeah, stents have really sort of revolutionised things for people. So yeah. people that would have once upon a time you know, needed surgery no longer need surgery, mm. uh, which is great. Uh, yeah. Uh, for people who have uh, sort of very you know multi-territorial, multi-vessel disease, we still sometimes do use surgery. So it's not um, it's, not, it's not like we've completely abandoned surgery. Surgery certainly has its place, and it's certainly necessary in some valvular issues as well. Mm. Uh, but we're using less of it than than we once did. Yeah. Is there a um, say like if you've got to get a hip or a knee replacement, you've got to wait till a certain age? Mm. Uh, is it possible to just if you need a stent, you can get it at whatever age you're at? You don't need to. No, whatever age. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you've got demonstrable problem with your but with a blood flow to the heart, the the sooner you intervene, the better. So mm-hmm. the sooner you get on and, and fix the problem, the better. Um, so the age is no barrier. Um, and obviously, you know if you're you know if you're in your thirties, you come in having a heart attack, we open up that artery as soon as possible. Yeah. So that's been. I suppose one of the other great advances in the last 20 years is that um, people having heart attacks come into hospital. Yeah. We see that they're having a heart attack. We, we, we've got a 24-hour cath lab open. Um, so they go straight to the cath lab. The team comes in regardless of what time of day it is. 
They get in there, they, they do an angiogram first off, mm-hmm. they find the blockage, the culprit vessel, and they put a stent in immediately. And that's really changed the the uh, the prognosis immensely for, for heart attacks. So sounds quite easy. Is it is it an easy process to put a stent in? It sounds well. If you if you talk to the interventional cardiologist, they'll they'll pretend they're putting a man on the moon. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, listen, it, it certainly has become a lot simpler. Yeah. Uh, there can be complex anatomies, and people can be very unwell, and people mm. can be shocked, and you know, and and uh, and uh, it, it can be a very sort of um, intense environment, if you like. But on the whole, putting stents in is 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 not oh. the most complicated procedure that we do in medicine. Yeah, uh, I have a irregular heartbeat that I've always had. Uh, are you seeing a lot of people with that? Is that a common sort of? Yeah. So I suppose, broadly speaking, under the, the heading of palpitations, we see a lot mm. of people with palpitations. Um, most palpitations are quite benign. Always great to get checked out, yeah. and, uh, and we do we do a number of tests to, to check out that things are, are benign. Uh, some subset of palpitations will be um, due to um, irregular firing of, of one of the chambers. Yeah. Uh, it can also be that there's an irregular, there's an extra pathway um, um, that uh, sometimes we need burn away just to prevent the, the palpitations from occurring. Um, so yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a common. Um, Common presentation, particularly in younger patients. So yeah. we get so younger patients will tend to be that we see in our clinic, if you like, will tend to be patients with palpitations or patients who have had maybe a collapse or a faint. Mm. Uh, patients who have you know just want to be checked out from a cardiovascular standpoint, yeah. uh, or have sort of atypical symptoms. Um, as as people progress on in life, the older patients tend to be more the you know, established sort of heart failure patients or the patients that have coronary artery disease that require regular follow-up. So, yeah. so they've already sort of got the disease process. Yeah. I had a few I, – I remember I, did, I had the dye in my – I don't know if I swallowed a dye. They did something with a dye a few years ago to check yep. my – and it, the doctor, I remember the doctor just saying that um, it's, it's fine, like it's, it's something I can live with. I play sports, but they said maybe later in life just keep an eye on it. You know. Yep. Um, so now that I know you, I'll just uh, obviously be in <laughs> touch. Down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Symptoms. What 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 are main things that people could look out for? You know, leading up. If, if people are a bit, people can think, oh, it's not. You know, I'm fine. Nothing wrong yep. with me. I've got a healthy diet. Yep. I, I exercise, but is there still maybe little symptoms people keep an eye out for just to maybe trigger them going to get a, a checkup? Check up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's certainly any chest pain. Should be mm. you know investigated. Uh, so it requires some investigation. See that um, that that's tricky, isn't it? Because a lot of people get a lot of people would come in for heartburn or reflux. That's right. Yeah, exactly it? right. And I've you know over the years I've had a lot of people who swear you know have sworn to me that I've got reflux, mm. but it's not reflux. It's actually you're actually other, getting angina. Right. You know okay. because yeah, yeah. you've got a, a problem with blood flow to the heart. Yeah. So it can be difficult, and I, I sort of discourage people from trying to read too much into their symptoms. When I when right. I see somebody for the first time. I don't want their description of what they think's going on. I just mm-hmm. want their description of what's going on, so okay, what they yeah, feel. Yeah. Um, and that's really important because that allows us to sort of synthesise all the information and try to work out what's going on. Yeah. So any chest pain I think is really important to get, you know, get checked out. But, and and the, other, the other thing I would say, any exertional symptoms. So if you get any you – know, you might be getting jaw pain when you exert yourself or neck pain or arm pain, all, all yeah. those – any exertional symptoms are, are often cardiac yeah. um, and they certainly need um, you know, further investigation. Okay. Yeah. Um, Knowing you're a um, cardiologist, do you, a lot of your friends and family come up and ask you uh, for yeah, yeah. advice yeah, at lot. family a events lot. or yeah. at a barbecue? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I actually don't mind it. I, right. I actually, like, there's plenty of doctors out there who hate it, uh, yeah. but I actually don't mind it. I, 
I, I come from a, a non-medical family yeah. uh, on the whole. Um, and uh, so uh, it's not like we're a whole family of doctors. And uh, so I'm often the port of call about certain things. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like I actually, I, I, you know, I might be able to solve everyone's problems, but I'm able to point them in the right direction yeah, to yeah. solve those problems. So I actually don't mind it. So there's a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, family and friends. Uh, there's a lot of times where I'm asked to, you know, have a quick consult uh, at different family <laughs> functions. So that, but that's that's all, all good. And uh, and I suppose the other thing I would say about that is that that I I'm now practicing in an area where I've lived all my life. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of people who are now coming through our rooms who are the mum and dad of you know friends I went to school with and those oh, sorts okay, of things. Yeah, yeah. And and that's all. It's a great honour to sort of yeah. look after after people you know in in some ways. Uh, nice. And it's not that hard. It's just mm. uh, you know it's just a matter of doing the best you can for everyone. Yeah. Like, you know you you know the best possible treatment. You know what should be done. And as long as you do that, um, then you won't go far wrong. Great. And and at a family barbecue. Out with mates, do you think you perform better after a few beers? Or <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I do anything better after a few beers. So <laughs> excellent. Um, I mentioned at the start we're here at your uh, your um, clinic here, One Heart Cardiology in Melbourne, over in uh, North Melbourne. You founded this in two thousand and fourteen. What made you want to run? Uh, your own clinic with you've obviously started with you started with three other guys yeah so actually i started on my own um so okay. i've been working uh privately for um, a little while with other other cardiologists and uh, and then I, I started thinking about the sort of clinic i wanted to run and and what i wanted to achieve and when i look mm. back at the sort of legacy i wanted to leave if you like yeah. it sounds all a bit grandiose but <laughs> but that's sort of what i was thinking yeah. um and uh so I, my wife actually came up with the name of one heart she said one heart's a great name for a, a cardiology practice because you only get one about that yeah, yeah you only one get heart. One. i suppose and everybody's working yeah, as one as well that's right. under the roof yeah that's right i do think mate did you contemplate two two hearts or um two young hearts like johnny and you can have yeah, johnny farm. yeah. So that joke has been uh, oh, yeah. leveled at me previously so uh no is a short answer so so anyway so we uh came up with the i came up well wife came up with the name and uh we uh, i set up shop um in 2014 and uh Listen, it was great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. it. Had great support, and uh, was doing a good job for for the patients. But it quickly became apparent to me that the way cardiology is is very subspecialised. So we've got subspecialties, and and everyone has their own little niche area that they do very very well. And so there was a proportion of patients that I'd have to refer on to other people, and it seemed a shame to refer my patients out of the area or to other cardiology practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, approached a, a number of guys who we I'd sort of trained with yeah. um, and the, the primary person I approached was a, a guy by the name of Dr. Renning Gervich who's sort of one of a, you know Melbourne's leading interventionalist and structural cardiologist and he was very keen to, to set up a, a big group, a, a sort of super group if you like and we've now yeah. sort of grown to 10 cardiologists and we've all got our expertise and so no matter what walks through our door, we're mm. able to deal with it, which is really important. And, and patients feel very well looked after. It's not just the cardiologists. It's, you know, the 20-plus, you know, administration staff. We've got two nurses here who work with us as well um, who are able to for, provide great care for, for patients. So it's yeah. a really it's – a, it's a, for us, what we feel the patient journey is really important. Yeah. And it's very important that that journey is kept under the one umbrella and that's yeah. really what the, the – really what one heart allows yeah that's so, great yeah and and you're really specialize you're sort of specializing in non-invasive stuff so it's it's people who 
you want to prevent prevent them from having to have an operation? Is that the main yeah, sort of? Well, no, thing? we do it all. So, do so it, the thirty nine okay. year old who who came in yesterday yeah. and needs an urgent angiogram, he goes off to see uh, Doctor uh, here William Wilson, and uh, yeah. he puts in a stent on this, uh, this at the same time, and it gets fixed up. So, regardless of what walks through the door, whether it's someone needing a you know new valve that we need to put in through the groin, or yeah. or we need to put in um, you know the, someone's got a hole in the heart, we need to put a closure device in, we can do that. Mm. So we do all the structural stuff, we put all the stents. In. Uh, we do all the we do the people we, we see the people that we want to check out to make sure yeah. their hearts are all right, and we provide all the con, you know uh, ongoing care. So so yeah, the, the the whole idea of it is just whatever you need, we can do. Mm. Yeah, is it hard to get a, a, a clinic up and running? Uh, is there a lot of like paperwork and oh, it's, it's laws a, you have to meet? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, it's a, it is. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. There's, mm. there's an accreditation process. Yeah, uh, yeah. to start off with, and that's. Arduous, um, and uh, you know, I was very lucky. My so my wife is. Um, we met on the job. She's a cardiac trained nurse, and right. and she uh, worked as my practice manager initially to get yeah. things things going. And um, and she's pretty busy with four young kids, so she's <laughs> been replaced by another practice manager and those sorts of things. But listen, it's really important that you've got the infrastructure in place um, to run a really good practice. And so, yeah. you as a cardiologist, you should be concentrating on what you're good at, and that's seeing patients and dealing with patient issues and all the rest you should leave to uh, allied, you know, other staff members who can, you know, a better place to do that sort of stuff. So, yeah. so it's very important you've got the right team. Yeah, yeah. It's um, walking in here this morning. It's a, it's an impressive operation. It's um, you say you've been in this this building here in North Melbourne for three and a half years. Yeah, so yeah, about three and a half years now, mm. a bit over three and a half years, and we um, um, we started here um, primarily because of location. So it was well located. It's it's actually a lovely old building, a heritage listed mm. building. Um, it's got you know we've got all the the, the the car parks out the front, so it's easier for patients. So that was one one big thing. It's really closely. Most of us work either at the Royal Melbourne or or Western, so it's co- sort of it's about halfway in between both campuses. Yeah. So it works well from a, a location point of view. Um, and uh, Coles actually owned the building, uh, but they were very happy for us to sort of develop the inside of the building to suit our purposes. And it's really worked really, very well. So, so we've been here over three and a half years, and we'll be here for many years to come. I'm actually yeah. the 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 oldest in the, the group. Oh, really? uh, so we've got ten cardiologists. I'm the oldest in the group, and oh, I plan on working at least for another twenty years. So we're yeah. going to be here for a while. Yeah. Yet, so, yeah so. <laughs> do you get any coal staff dropping in for any? Uh, uh, no, no, but we do shop at Coles quite a bit. So. <laughs> So. Um, you mentioned the location. It is we're here in Flemington. You are a stone's throw away from the famous Flemington Strait, the, uh, the horse yeah. racing track. Uh, you own and breed uh, racehorses. Um, I couldn't think of anything that would test your heart better than being in that sort of game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a real passion for me. Uh, yeah. Like most people, I think it's good to have an interest outside yeah. of your, your main, you know, your main job. Um, and for me, it's been horse racing. I've been mm. very fortunate um, that I've been able to combine uh, the two a little bit um, yeah. in as much as when I was an Echo Fellow. So going back you know, over 10 years ago, I started doing ultrasound on, on horses, right. so hard ultrasound on horses. And yeah. um, there was a lot of work that had been done previously in England and I sort of translated that that work to the Australian environment, and uh, along with a colleague of mine, uh, Mr. Glenn Barker, uh, we uh, we started uh, sort of scanning horses. And we've sort of scanned over five thousand horses now, right? And uh, and we try to just you know complement people in the selection process of horses, and we've had yeah. some success. So it's been yeah. a great thrill, and we've been lucky enough to be involved in um, or associated with a few you know really good horses. So yeah. it's been great. Yeah. What um, differences we talking in a horse heart to a human heart? Is it are they working the same way? Or yeah, is anatomically, it, is it... exactly the same, except bigger. 
Okay. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so the the, the um, arterial supply is the same. The four chambers, like we spoke about, exactly yeah. the same. Everything works exactly the same. It's just wow. bigger. Yeah, yeah so right. – um, yeah, the, funnily enough, the, the max heart, you know, their, their sort of maximum heart rate doesn't sort of not sort of 220 minus age. It tends to be about the 220 okay. uh, area. Um, and um, because they've got a bigger heart, they've also got a bigger stroke volume. That's the amount of blood that gets out with each beat. So they've got massive cardiac output horses. Wow. Um, and uh, obviously their performance is, you know, somewhat dependent on how good their cardiac output is. So, right, yeah. yeah. So you haven't had any horses through the door here at One Heart Cardio? No, but we're more than happy to, <laughs> more than happy to see any. Bring uh, your horse yeah, in that's well. right. <laughs> well, yeah, so if people want to come down, if you're sitting here listening to this and you're thinking, I might like to get my heart checked out, um, do they need to get a referral through a GP to come to you or can they just come in? And yeah, yeah. Book so an referral is the best way. Yeah. The, the reason I say the referral, well, it is the best way, full stop. But, and the reason being, I think it's really important that your GP is your first port of call. Any patient, they should go and see their GP. There's fantastic GPs out there who will be able to know exactly what you know the individual requires next. Yeah. Um, and then you know if their GP sees fit, they'll refer them on. Um, and if not, then that's reassuring that your GP doesn't think you right. necessarily require further investigation. So yeah. that's good. But, yeah, either you do get the referral, yeah. come down here to yeah, one, right. <laughs> one yeah. Heart Cardiology in yeah. North Melbourne. Um, yeah, that's well, thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. I certainly have learnt a hell of a lot more about the heart than I knew before, and I'll um, I'll book in now for another test yeah. for my uh, check-up for myself. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah, no, thanks, Daniel. It's been no a pleasure. Worries. Cheers. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening. Hope you liked that one. As we talked about there, if you do think you're suffering from any symptoms of heart disease, I suggest you go and see your doctor and you might end up going to chat with Adam at One Heart Cardiology. If you'd like to know more about Adam and One Heart Cardiology, head to oneheartcardiology.com.au. Check out their website. Adam's got a profile on there. You can find out more about him. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. Uh, There's many more episodes uh, of Taking It Easy on iTunes, and if iTunes is dead by the time you hear this, it's on that new podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts. Also, you can find the podcast on Spotify now. There's this episode and many more, uh, so send your friends there if you think you've got a friend that might like it. They can also listen on my website, which is danielconnell.com.au, under the podcast section. Uh, while you're on the website, you may as well uh, join the mailing list and find out what I'm up to uh, in comedy festivals and whatnot coming up. Uh, You can also check out my gigs page there if you want to see something soon. Uh, While you're at it, if you're in a liking and following mood, I'm on Instagram also at Daniel Connell Comedy and also on Facebook. My Facebook page is Daniel Connell Comedy as well, so get around those. That is it for this week. Thanks for tuning in and take it easy.